0: good morning. So I'm going to be reading today's uh, sermon text. Uh, Please rise for the reading of God's word. This is from Psalm 104 uh, verses 1 through 15 and 31 through 35. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messenger's winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He sets the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so they might not again cover the earth you make springs gush forth in the valleys they flow between the hills they give drink to every beast of the field the wild donkeys quench their thirst beside them the birds of the heavens dwell they sing among the branches from your lofty abode you water the mountains the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and the plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth the food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord.
1: Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for your word believing, God, that you have inspired every jot and tittle of it and that it is living and active. So, Lord, we pray that you would make the book live to us today, Lord. Show us yourself inside your word. Show us ourselves and show us our Savior and make the book live to us for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thanks to to Buck for doing that reading uh, for us. I did ask him to uh, skip some verses there or read just a portion of that, really uh, just in the interest of time. But the whole rest of that uh, section there, verses 16 through 30, elaborate. Uh, the same things we were reading before. But if you're visiting with us, we've been going through a a sermon series on the, uh, well, not the whole book of Psalms, but just some selections from the Psalms, sort of uh, tasting from the sample platter, so to speak. Um, Get, you know, experience in a variety of what the Psalms offer us, discovering that about a third of them are laments of the people of God crying out to him, in distress, in some way, crying out for him to answer their prayers, to meet their needs, to save them from their enemies, or whatever the case may be. Um, that about ten percent or so are Thanksgiving psalms. We looked at one of those a couple of weeks ago. And about twenty percent of the psalms are hymns, like we read here in Psalm one hundred four. That a hymn in the psalms is just a, a pure praise to God. It it simply praises God. who he is and what he's done it's not uh, thanks for what he's done for us it's not asking him to do something for us it is simply a, a declaration of pure praise to him and that's what psalm 104 is and this one in particular praises god as the creator and sustainer of the universe and reminds us that even when we're crying out to him that even when we're crying out to him and lament that we do so because of his total lordship of his absolute lordship over every molecule in creation that whatever whatever need we have whatever distressing circumstance we're under we know he's in command of all of it and that's really the point that Psalm 104 uh, makes about his greatness and it is it is that great God that we just read about here who is the object of our worship and, and again of all the things that I've said um, already this morning about what's in our hearts about what's in the room uh, what what supersedes all of it overshadows all of it is that he our great God is the object of our worship? That He's the reason, the reason we assemble together any place, any time. And it makes that point really um, by by mentioning just briefly declaring His greatness, then describing His handiwork in creation. And then saying something about our response. And again, I've, I, I told you I would be brief here at the end. You can imagine um, how much there could be to say about this psalm. I'm not going to say it all. I'm not going to say uh, much at all, in fact. But I do, I do want to just m- make these observations to you, even for your own benefit. Because one of the things about the psalms, we're, we're rediscovering. The, the prayers and the songs that the people of God have sung down through the ages. The, the, the Old Testament people of Israel, the, the New Testament uh, believers, even Jesus himself. The first century church and on down through the centuries were recovering something of the songs and the prayers um, that, were, that were on their lips and the first declaration, of course, it makes is about his greatness. In verse one, "O oh Lord, my God, you are very great. Clothed with splendor and majesty and wrapped in light, it says in the NIV. And you may recognize that phrase from the song, how great is our God. He wraps himself in light. Uh, it was this psalm that Chris Tomlin was reading and meditating on when he when he wrote that song. That was the inspiration for that anthem. And, and it is the, his greatness, even though it makes that statement very succinctly, that is the theme of the psalm. Of the and everything else elaborates that point because when the Bible says phrases like, who is like unto the Lord our God who dwells on high? Who is like the Lord our God? The answer, of course, is Nobody. Nothing, nobody even comes close. there is nothing that compares to him, and we'd be well served to remember that fact and even to begin our prayers this way if you wanted if you wanted just to develop um, discipline about your prayer life and you weren't sure all the different ways you could begin, let me encourage you to begin all the time until you have something else to say about his greatness. You begin with that statement right there. Oh Lord, my God, you are very great. Because that'll put all the rest of your prayers in perspective. It makes a declaration of his greatness and then says all of this other Uh, stuff here from verses like 3 through 30, just about his handiwork in in creation and providence. Uh, Spurgeon said this psalm is the poet's version of Genesis 1. And if you were to go back and study this a little more carefully, if you read this afternoon, you'd see it's got really even a loose outline of the creation account in Genesis 1 here, but stated uh, more poetically. And others have pointed out, like I said, it's just an anthem of creation and providence, but he clothes himself in light. And he he dwells above everything that he's created. And that's the picture it's trying to paint here. That his his dwelling place is, is above it all, on top of it all. And he commands and orders it. It says he establishes its boundaries, um, establishes its rhythms in the way of seasons, night and day, and so forth. But I love in verses seven and eight where it's talking about the uh, the waters and the mountains. It says of the waters, at your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for him. The picture here is like um, the the way a, a, a dog would obey its master. Go, stay, sit. God commands creation that way says that his rebuke the waters fled that that he he tells them don't the waters don't go any farther than that he establishes their boundary by his command and like a parent saying to their their children you know go to your room that would probably be a really fed up and moody parent which wouldn't be a very good um, illustration of God but the children would be a good illustration of the obedience and the immediate response that the mountains and the waters give here, it says the mountains rise up, the valleys uh, lay low or, or, or whatever the language of it there is. The valleys sank down. But, but God commands creation. He orders creation and it establishes its boundaries, establishes its rhythms. It says here that he's the source of life for every creature and for everything uh, that creatures need. He supplies it all. In verses, uh, in verse 14 and 15, causes the grass to grow for the livestock, the plants for man to cultivate, uh, wine to gladden the heart of man. I know some of you are glad that's in the Bible. Um, oil to make his face shine. Bread to strengthen the man's heart. That is to say, even even the things that we make, we make with substance that he already created. Now I know that there's there's nothing about this that is particularly revelatory to you. Like you you know this intellectually. We all do. But the point is for us to be moved by that fact. To be moved by that fact because there is something about understanding the greatness of God that makes us feel wonderfully small. And I don't mean belittled, you know, thinking low of ourselves. What I mean is struck by just how magnificent our God is. And that he's our God. You know, it would be a totally different story, wouldn't it be, if if he weren't your God and you realized how great he is. But he's my God. He made himself known to me. And I'm wonderfully small in the shadow of his greatness. Calvin uh, said a, a couple of really striking things about God's providence and his in his institutes but one is it, it is certain he says that not one drop of rain falls without God's sure command. Now that that kind of statement is actually tr- troubling to believers sometimes thinking that God is is totally in control because some things seem so out of control. Some things in life seem so contrary to his character and nature. How could he be in command of it? And yet, if you read Psalm 104, and you maybe ought to go back and read it this afternoon, it leaves no room for doubt about that fact, that there is not a molecule in creation that he is not in command of. It is where it is because he commanded it to be, and does so for his good pleasure. Not only did he create it, but he sustains it. And so when we read things like we read responsively from Colossians chapter 1, that Jesus was the agent of creation, and that by him all things were created, and in him all things consist, and all things hold together. Or as Hebrews says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He didn't just create it. He holds it all together even right now for his good pleasure. That's our God. And so Calvin goes on to say, We are superstitiously timid, I say, if whenever creatures threaten us or forcibly terrorize us, we become as fearful as if they had some intrinsic power to harm us. If you didn't follow the train of thought, let me paraphrase. We're superstitiously timid, he says, if when anybody or anything threatens us or terrorizes us, we think that they have any intrinsic power to do anything to us because God is the Lord of it all. Did I mention he's our God? And so then the psalm concludes with how we respond to that, because this is really, uh, perhaps the point. As I said, we, the the point is not just the to know that, like we could answer all the questions right in Sunday school and get our little yellow sticker and a cupcake or something for it, but that we're moved by it, because it says in verse thirty three and following. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. I'll sing praises to Him. I will think on things that please Him. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. In your sight, the psalm says, Psalm 19, I believe, verse 14. And I'll even rejo- rejoice in his ultimate justice. But God is the object of our worship here, and he is a great God. Almost in, incomprehensibly so. Like we can't, we can't say enough that would contain how great he is. And again, it's hard, to even, it's hard to even get into words to really get across to people how amazing that makes his grace. I mean, I don't know what to do other than to keep saying it, you know. But that that God, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Jesus. Did that God, while we were still sinners, sent Jesus to die for us? That, that God, the one who commands mountains to rise up and valleys to sink down, loves you and me with a special love of a father. Does that strike deep at your heart? It ought to yours and mine. Everything, everywhere we turn, everything we look upon should point us to him. And, and, and one of the things that's lost on us often, because we live in what has historically been a, a predominantly Christian culture, certainly a Judeo-Christian culture, um, all down through the, the decades of our history. We are not conscious as, as much, or not at least as readily conscious of, of, of all the different beliefs and other gods that the, the people of Israel were planted in the middle of a pagan world. All around them were people who worshipped all kinds of other gods that would be temptations to them. In fact, we just read from 1 Kings uh, 12 earlier about their own inclination toward false worship. But here are the implications of Psalm 104, that God does not live within creation. He interacts with it, but he's not, he doesn't live within creation like the polytheistic religions, the Baals that would have been worshipped by people all around them like we might be um, familiar with, with uh, Greek and Roman gods and that kind of thing, where there are, you know, there's a God of war and a God of uh, love and, you know, this, that, or the other that are just part of creation. And by the way, they're pretty moody too, those gods in polytheism and changeable. You don't really know what they're going to do next. God is not, God does not live within creation. Um, God is not part of creation, like uh, new age and and pantheistic religions would say that say everything is God. Okay, so God is not in the trees, for example. He's not. He's not in nature, and 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 even Christians can make this error sometimes of of thinking. You know, when I when I go out in nature, I. I, I sort of feel God's presence. I understand what you're saying there, that somehow um, getting out beyond walls and into his creation connects us somehow with him. But it's not because he's in it, although he's present everywhere. But and unlike New Age and pantheistic beliefs that say you're a God, I'm a God, the trees are God, everybody's a God, everything's a God, God's in it all. It, it is not true. He's... he's Separate from his creation. And it is his creation. By the way, and again, I know I'm saying things that presumably you already know. I'm just saying it emphatically uh, so that maybe you'll be struck by it in a fresh way today. He didn't create everything and then leave it to function by itself. He certainly isn't absent from it in a world that just operates. Randomly. If you if you read Psalm 104 and believe what it says, there is no room for randomness at all. There's things don't happen by chance in God's universe. He holds it together by the word of his power. Now, again, this ought to do something to our worship this ought to strike us with a sense of awe that while he is father and while he does love us with a fatherly love he is great beyond our description and it ought to it ought to put us on our knees in awe and with high reverence. And again, with a deep gratitude, because that same God worthy of that kind of praise is also the God who loved and saved us. But I think I've used the illustration before uh, along the lines of saying, you know, if somebody held a big black tie, red carpet kind of event, a who's who among the gods, and invited Jehovah he would not attend that banquet because he is not among the gods. He is above them all. Everything else in human existence that is worshipped is something he created and that he is Lord over. He will not have it. He will not sit and be honored even at the head of that table among other gods he commands and it obeys and all for his good pleasure and would by his grace we be gripped gripped by that truth that our worship of him begins to approach something befitting that that greatness that he possesses and that our love for the world that we occupy the world that needs to know that God who needs to be reconciled to that God. Would he by his grace move us uh, to that place? I, I had a um, slide I was going to show, but I'm going to actually just um, ask Jim to skip that and say, um, ha- ask Dean if he'll uh, come forward as I pray. And I want us to conclude uh, singing that song, How Great is Our God, inspired by this very psalm uh, before we receive. The benediction today. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, you are Father to us, and we thank you for that fact because you set your love upon us. But Lord, you are you are great, Oh, Lord our God. You are very great, clothed in splendor and majesty, and wrapped in light. as high as we can see in creation we could not even see how how highly exalted your dwelling place is and yet we know that you're present with us as well God, we pray that this place always would be an assembly that exalts your great name, that makes you the object of our worship. Lord, may we never be concerned with tickling the fancies of people Tickling their ears with words they want to hear, entertaining and catering to preferences. But Lord, may you be the center and the object of our worship, Lord. Strike a sense of awe in us. and a deep gratitude because our great God made us his beloved children. Father, would you minister that to each one of our hearts in whatever way we need it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.